0: بسم الله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهد الله فلا مضل له ومن يضل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله verily really the praise belongs to Allah we praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves, from the evil consequences of our deeds whomever Allah guides there is no one that can lead him astray and whomever Allah leads astray there is no one that can guide him To bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that He has no partners or associates and I bear witness that Muhammad وسلم, is his slave servant and his messenger. Insha'Allah, in this, in the seventh in our series of lectures concerning the Islamic creed or the Islamic system of faith. al-aqidah al Islamia, in which we have been discussing the matters of Islamic faith or creed as outlined in the essay of al-imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal rahimahullah in his book Usul al-Sunnah the foundations of the sunnah before proceeding with our reading and explanation of the points to be discussed this evening, I am reminded of the fact that there are amongst us those who are participating in this training course who were not with us from the very beginning when we explained the principles and the foundations that this course of study is based upon there are those who missed for example our discussion about the importance of Islamic Aqidah and why it should be given our full attention and consideration above and beyond the study of any other of the Islamic sciences additionally there are amongst us Those ladies or some of the ladies who not only joined us late but also perhaps are new Muslims who only recently embraced Islam and to whom these matters Islamic Aqeedah might be totally new. They may be totally unfamiliar with these points and therefore we hope that you will bear patiently with us. and try to review these discussions, review the book, ask questions and to reflect upon uh, each of these very important and essential points so that with the help of Allah or the permission of Allah we will be able to understand the foundations of the Islamic religion. We said in our earlier lectures in the beginning of this course For example, the Islamic Aqidah or Islamic creed or belief system it is of the utmost importance. It is the foundation of the religion. As we said, it is called Al-Usul which means the foundations. Whereas the other science the Islamic jurisprudence or fiqh, it is called Al-Furu' or the branches, the secondary matters. This type of uh, classification, al-usul and al-furu'ah, is something which gives us an indication of the importance of the aqidah. It has been called al-usul, the foundations, while the Islamic jurisprudence, which many people give their full attention to while abandoning the study of al-aqidah, the Islamic jurisprudence, it is entitled or the branches or secondary matters Another point which we mentioned earlier in our first lectures which shows the importance of al afida is that the Prophet ﷺ spent most of his 23 years during the course of his prophethood explaining to the people the Islamist afida, and more specifically Teaching the people and helping them to understand the most important part of the Islamic religion, at Tawheed, the recognition and acknowledgement of the uniqueness of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, that He is alone and unique, as being the Creator and the Nourisher and Sustainer and Provider, and He alone is unique in being entitled to be described by the perfect names and characteristics which he has described himself with in the Qur'an and which his Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam has described him with in the authentic sunnah and that he alone is unique in being entitled to being worshipped that all acts of worship should be and are rightly directed to Allah alone subhanahu wa ta'ala also we mentioned previously to show the importance of al-aqidah the fact that the great scholar of fiqh the great scholar of Islamic jurisprudence al-imam abu hanifa may Allah have mercy upon him though he was well known as a scholar of Islamic law or Islamic jurisprudence or al fiqh he when he wrote a very small essay or treatise explaining the Islamic aqidah, the understanding of Islamic aqidah, he also entitled it al-fiqh, but he entitled it al-fiqh al-akbar, meaning the greatest fiqh. Therefore acknowledging and announcing to the people that although the Islamic law and Islamic jurisprudence, that fiqh is very important, but what is greater than that and more important, is the understanding of the Islamic creed he called it al-fiqh al-akbar the greatest fiqh these points and others make us to know the importance of al-aqidah and remind us of the importance of considering it carefully reflecting upon it reading as much as possible about it and asking questions so that we can understand the foundation of the religion upon which everything else is based and also uh, reminding us that even our deeds, practicing the religion of Islam by actions, prayers, fasting, charity, and so on, though these things are very important, the foundation of the deed is the aqidah or the creed, and whoever doesn't believe in Allah properly or acknowledge the tawheed of Allah, the oneness and uniqueness of Allah, then their deeds could be ruined and spoiled if they are not based on correct aqidah. So to proceed, let me just mention quickly that in our last discussion, in lecture number 6, we discussed in detail the point so Imam Ahmed mentions that the Quran Is the speech of Allah and that it is not created Reminding us That Allah's characteristics His Fifat or descriptions As well as his afa'al His actions are not created They are part of Allah himself And they are not created and of those Characteristics of Allah is his speech The fact that Allah did speak And does speak and will speak whenever he wills and however he wills. Of those things that's part of his speech is the revelations and specifically Al-Qur'an. The Qur'an is the speech of Allah. It is not created, it is a part of Allah himself. It is a characteristic or quality of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and nothing that is from Allah is created. We also mentioned the point of belief that the scholars have agreed upon and we discussed it in some detail. Also mentioning the sayings of some of the Great scholars of the early generations of the Muslims and the later generations They believe that Allah will be seen On Yawm al-Qiyamah, on the day of resurrection In the next life And it would be one of the greatest joys And favors of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala For the believers That's what we wanted to say as an introduction And now to proceed to the points of discussion for this evening. Al-Imam Ahmed says here اللَّهُ اللَّهِ اللَّهُ wa And that the Prophet صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ we must believe that the Prophet ﷺ saw his Lord since this has been transmitted from the Messenger of Allah and is correct or authentic. Here Imam Ahmed mentions some of the chains of narrators, the isnad or asanid, by which the hadith concerning this matter came to us. He says, رَوَاهُ عَنْ إقرمة عَنْ إِبْنِ عَبَّاسٍ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عنهما. It has been reported from Qatada from إِقْرِمَ from Ibn عَبَّاسٍ May Allah be pleased with him and his father. إِبْنِ, عن عن ابن And it has also been reported to us from Al-Hakam Ibn Abban who reported it from Ikrimah who reported it from Ibn Abbas. May Allah be pleased with him and his father. وَرَوَاهُ عَلِيٌّ Ibn Zayd عَنْ Yusuf Ibn Mahrān عَنْ Ibn Abbas رَضِيَ اللَّهُ أَنْهُمَا And it has also been reported from Ali Ibn Zayd who reported it from Yusuf Ibn Mahrān who reported it from Ibn Abbas. May Allah be pleased with him and his father. وَالْحَدِيثُ عِنْدَنَا عَلَىٰ ظَاهِرِهِ كَمَا جاء عَنِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم والكلام فِيهِ بداعتن. And the hadith in our estimation or in our view is to be taken or is to be understood by its apparent meaning. As it has come from the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, and indulging in theological rhetoric means an indulging in intellectual or theological rhetoric trying to re-explain or reinterpret such a matter without basing our understanding or our interpretation or our explanation on the text of Qur'an and the authentic hadith of the Prophet such explanations that are baseless and are not founded on reliable sources is innovation. Imam Ahmed says, after mentioning the fact that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, rabbahu. After mentioning this, he says, "Walhadith and these hadith or these reports are to be understood or to be taken according to their apparent meaning. Kama ja'a an sallallahu alayhi wa as they came from the Messenger of Allah from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Wal fihi And to discuss this matter or to reinterpret it in any way than the way it is understood in its apparent meaning, to try to reinterpret it by our intellect or by something other than evidences from the Quran and Sunnah, then this is bid'ah or innovation. That means that we should understand it as it is and not try to reinterpret it or twist it or distort its meaning. ظاهره ظاهره but we must have faith in it as it came upon its apparent meaning and we do not dispute with anyone regarding it. Uh, in the commentary of our book, Footnote number 26. I would just like to discuss that commentary briefly because perhaps it might not be completely clear. The commentator says that the Salaf or the early generations of the scholars have differed with respect to the Prophet ﷺ, being his Lord. This difference, I am saying now, this difference is a difference in expression or in the way that the scholars expressed their view about this matter and not a difference in reality of what they actually believed. It is agreed by all of the scholars that the Prophet ﷺ did in fact see his Lord. But what appears to be a difference is, as he mentions here, those who affirmed the fact of the Prophet ﷺ seeing his Lord, By a ru'ya qalbiya, or a vision of the heart, and those who denied him seeing his Lord by a ru'ya basariya, or a vision from the, by the eyes. Yani there are those from amongst the companions of the Prophet ﷺ and those who came after them from amongst the tabi'un and the scholars after them of the Imams who affirmed. One aspect of this ru'ya or this vision or seeing Allah and those who denied another aspect of it. But there is no conflict between them because those who denied it, they denied that the Prophet ﷺ actually saw Allah in awaken, awakened state, saw him by his eyes. They denied that, but they didn't deny that he saw Allah in a vision, in a sleeping state. And the hadith prove to us that the vision or the dreams of the Prophet are true visions. The dreams of Prophets are true visions, not like the dreams of other human beings, which might be true or might be false. But the dreams of Prophets are true visions. So in fact, the dream of the Prophet and the vision that he saw in a sleeping state, it is a true vision. So we say in fact that he did see Allah, but not in a waking state, not by his eyes, but by the heart. Those who affirmed the seeing of the Prophet ﷺ seeing his Lord, they affirmed it. And those who denied, they denied that he saw Allah in awakened state by his eyes. So if we understand this point, then we will see that those who affirmed and those who denied are not in reality having a difference, but there is a difference in the way they express the point relating to the Prophet ﷺ seeing Allah. So he mentions here that amongst those who rejected the seeing or the vision of the Prophet ﷺ seeing his Lord are Aisha anha and Abdullah ibn Mas'ud They rejected it. But we will understand as we read it carefully, we will see that what they rejected is the vision of the Prophet ﷺ in a awakened state. As for Abdullah ibn Abbas and al hassan al-Basri, Urwa ibn al-Zubayr, the students of ibn Abbas, Ta'ab ibn Ahbar, Al-Zuhri, Ma'amar, and Al-Ash'ari, they affirmed the vision or the seeing, the Prophet seeing his Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. And their affirmation is the affirmation of the ru'ya, qalbiya or the vision by the heart in a sleeping state. Then he says, after this difference, he said they also differed, did he see him with his eyes or with his heart and the first difference is, some said he didn't see his Lord, but actually, if we understand what they really mean, they mean he didn't see him with his eyes. Then, amongst those who affirmed the vision, he says there's a difference: did he see him with his eyes or his heart? And this is really the same difference of opinion. It's not really a difference, but it's only uh, a difference in expression, because in reality, none of the Sahaba or the uh, students of Sahaba said that the Prophet ﷺ saw Allah with his eyes. The explanation of this point uh, is given by Al-Hafid ibn Hajir Askelani, the expl- explainer of the Sahih al-Bukhari, in which he said that narration came from Ibn Abbas, unrestricted and others restricted. And what he means by unrestricted and restricted in Arabic, the meaning of unrestricted is mutlaq, and the meaning of restricted is muqayyid. And a more uh, and a clear meaning of these two words, here the way they are used, is that mutlaq, Or unrestricted, it means that they expressed the vision of the Prophet ﷺ in a general sense. They said he saw his Lord. Without saying how he seen it. The other narrations that came restricted as he says, which may more properly be uh, explained as specific. The specific narrations, Muqayyid, they said that he saw his Lord by his heart. That is, they explained how he saw his Lord. In some of the narrations, they just said he saw his Lord. That means it was general, left open. And in the other narrations, which were more specific, they said he saw his Lord by a vision of the heart. So those narrations are of two types. And Al-Hafiz Ibn Hadid Askelani makes us to understand here that those which are general should be understood in light of those which are specific. Yeah, and in those narrations which said that he saw his Lord should be understood in light of the more specific narrations which said how he saw his Lord. And in this way, we can see that there is no difference here there is no conflict but both of them are saying the same thing except one mentioned a general statement and the other was more specific also uh, in the next paragraph he talks about uh, the commentator says that uh, Ibn Abbas speaks about the affirmation of the vision of the Prophet in his sleep not that he saw him in the Mi'raj or the night of ascent the journey to the seven heavens Ibn Abbas, his affirmation is the affirmation of the vision of the Prophet in his sleep. Not the affirmation of him seeing his Lord by his eyes in the time or in the incident or the occasion of Al-Mi'raj or the night uh, ascent, when he ascended to the seven heavens. And Aisha, عنها, her denial is denial of the Prophet wasallam seeing Allah at the time of the ascent to the seven heavens Uh, in a wake state, and she didn't deny that he saw him in a sleeping state, in a vision of the heart. So again, uh, if we read this explanation carefully, it will become clear to us that there is no real conflict, but only on the surface there appears to be some difference here. I hope uh, that there is some clarity to this point. Allah knows best. In any case, uh, some of the scholars discussed this point, for example, they said that Ibn Abbas, in a report that's reported by Imam Muslim, in his Sahih, about the ayat in the Quran in Surah Al-Najm, verse 11 and verse 13, "Ma kaza'ba al-fu'adu ma raa that the heart did not belie what it saw. The heart of the Prophet ﷺ did not belie. it was not mistaken in what it saw. And in the other ayat, وَلَقَدَ نَزْلَةً أُخْرَى That certainly or definitely he saw him in another ascent. Ibn Abbas, about these two ayats, he said, رَآهُ بِفُعَادِهِ مَرَّتَيْنِ That the Prophet ﷺ saw him, saw Allah by his heart or vision of the heart two times. So here... These are of the narrations Or this is of the narrations of Ibn Abbas Where he specified what he meant By the Prophet ﷺ seeing his Lord That he saw him uh, By a vision of the heart And it is not authentically reported Not authentically reported from Ibn Abbas رَضِيَ اللَّهُ That he ever said in clear language That the Prophet ﷺ saw Allah By a vision of his eyes al الْبَصَرِيَةَ but he either left it general saying that he saw his Lord or in, as, as reported in this narration he was more specific and said that it was a Ru'ya of Al-Fu'ad or the Ru'ya of the heart. Al-Hafiz ibn Hajj al-Asqalani as I mentioned he said that these reports from Ibn Abbas are of two types those which are general and those which are specific. So it is obligatory on us to understand the general narrations in light of the specific. That is that the general that he saw him should be understood how he saw him from the specific that he saw him with his heart and he again said that the Al-Hafid ibn Hajjah also said that we can make reconciliation between the reports of Ibn Abbas and the reports of Aisha or the affirmation of Ibn Abbas and the negation of Aisha by understanding that her negation, that is Aisha's negation, was negation of the ru'ya, basariya, seeing by the eyes. And his affirmation, that is the affirmation of Ibn Abbas, was an affirmation of ru'ya, qalbiya or seeing by the heart. So there is no conflict between them. Uh, and yani, we should just understand that the fact of the matter and what we believe is that uh, the Prophet sallallahu Saw Allah In his sleeping state And it was a true vision Also Al-Shaykh Muhammad Nasruddin Al-Albani In his commentary On the hadith of Ibn Abbas He said That uh, We should also look at the, the narration Of the hadith of Abi Dhar Radiallahu anhu The companion of the Prophet ﷺ, Who said Sa'altu Rasulullah <laughs> he said, I asked the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu did you see your Lord? This question is very clear and direct, and it is authentic hadith reported also by Imam Muslim. The Prophet answered him by saying, Noorun arahu that it was light, how could I see him? And he saw light, how can I see him? And in another report, that we will come to down further. It is mentioned that the hijab of Allah is nur, that His covering or screen that separates Him from the people seeing Him is the hijab or the screen of light. So that what the Prophet saw was the light of the screen of Allah and not Allah Himself. The Prophet said, anna arahu." How could I have seen Him? I only saw light. So He in this narration made it clear that he didn't see Allah in person in the night ascent in the journey to the seven heavens. But what he saw when he went above the seven heavens was the hijab of Allah or the screen of light in front of Allah or between Allah and the human beings. Also, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyah, rahimahullah, in the Majmu' fatawa in his book of legal rulings, he discussed this issue. And he was one of the most knowledgeable of the scholars of the madhab of Imam Ahmed. And he clarified what Imam Ahmed meant here when he affirmed that the Prophet ﷺ did in fact see Allah and that we should not dispute about it nor should we try to reinterpret it but we should understand it by the text of Quran and Sunnah and not by any other explanation. Ibn Taymiyyah says that it is authentically narrated from the Prophet ﷺ that he saw his Lord, Tabaraka wa ta'ala, the Blessed and the Most High. But that vision of Allah, it wasn't in the Isra and Mi'raj, in the night journey and the ascension to the seven heavens. But it was in the time when the Prophet ﷺ was in Medina. And he informed the people that in one night in Medina, in his manamihi, in his sleep or in his dream, that he saw Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, Al-Imam Ahmed, rahimahullah, he based his opinion on this statement of the Prophet ﷺ, that he saw Allah in his sleep, but that it was a true vision. And he said, Imam Ahmed that he saw him, yes he saw him in reality. Yeah I it was a real vision. Because the vision of the Prophet they are true. But Imam Ahmed did not say that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi saw Allah in a awakened state through the eyes that are in his head. In some of the statements of Imam Ahmed, as in the statements of Ibn Abbas, sometimes he said simply in the general way, he said, Ra'ahu, he saw him. And in other statements, he said, Ra'ahu bi fu'adihi. He was more specific and he said he saw him by a vision of the heart. So these, both types of narrations, are similar to the reports from Ibn Abbas, general and specific. And the general should be understood in light of the specific. So this is the meaning of the statement of Imam Ahmed that the Prophet وسلم, saw his Lord he definitely did see him in reality it was a true vision in his sleep not in the waking state, and not in the occasion of the ascent to the seven heavens also a Shaykh Abdullah ibn Abdurrahman ibn Allah in his explanation of this book he mentioned to us also some of the previous points that we mentioned and went on to say uh, he mentioned the hadith of Abu Zarr, radiyallahu anhu, in Sahih Muslim, that I asked the Prophet, sallallahu "Did you see your Lord?" And he said, "Nurun, anna arahu." It was light. How that I have seen him. And in another narration, he said, Ra'aytu nuran I saw a light. This is an evidence that the Prophet, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, only saw the light of the hijab of Allah, as proven in another hadith reported from the Prophet, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, in which he said, "Anna that faakbara." بِأَنَّ اللَّهَ النور, That the hijab of Allah or the screen or the curtain in front of Allah is light. لَوْ كَشَفَهُ لَأَقْرَقَتْ وَجْهِهِ إِلَيْهِ بَصَرُهُ مِنْ خلقه. That if that hijab or that screen was removed, the glory and the greatness of Allah's face would have caused the burning up or the destruction of everything that was within his sight of his creation. That means everything in the creation would have been destroyed. Because the glory of Allah is too great for the human being or the creation in this world to bear. And this is also understood from the Qur'an itself. As we read in the Qur'an where the Prophet Musa, Moses a.s., uh, when he asked Allah to see him, he said, Rabbi arini anzur ilayka." Oh Allah, let me have a look at you. Let me see you. Musa, the prophet of Allah, and the prophets are the most knowledgeable of all human beings of Allah. He asked Allah, can I see you? But Allah said to him, لن that you will never see me. Ya'ani, in this world you cannot see me. ولكن انظر إلى الجبل فإن استقر مكانه فسوف تراني But look at the mountain only. If that mountain remains in its place then you would see me. But of course the mountain crumbled from the glory of Allah and even Musa himself fainted and fell out into a swoon. From just seeing the glory of Allah which was reflected on the mountain, the mountain crumbled and it caused Musa himself even to faint. So this is a proof that the human being in this world, how can they see Allah directly when even just to see the light of the glory of Allah reflected on a mountain caused the mountain to crumble and Musa alayhi to fall into a swoon. How can we see Allah in this life? The physical creation of the human being in this world is not capable of seeing Allah. But in the next life when the people would be resurrected and given a new life, then Allah would give them the ability to withstand His sight and that would be one of the joys of the next life. Also I remember one of our scholars in Medina when he was teaching us about this point, he also mentioned that the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ in Bukhari and Muslim, that the greatest of the joys of the people of paradise would be the seeing of Allah. And he said, then if that is one of the blessings that is reserved for paradise, and it would be the greatest joy that the people would experience in paradise, then we shouldn't expect that anyone should experience it in this life. Because it is the things of paradise of those things that no eye has seen, nor any heart has understood. So those things are reserved for the next life. And Imam Ahmed goes on to say, وَالْإِمَانُ بِالْمِيزَانِ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ كَمَا جَاءَ يُوْزَنُ الْعَبْدُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ فَلَا يَذِنُ جَنَاحَ بَعُودَةٍ And also, of those essential things that we must believe in, is having faith in the mizan, the scales, or the balance. The weighing of the deeds on the day of judgment, just as, as it has come to us in the hadith that a person will be weighed on the day of judgment and he will not be equal to the weight of a wing of a fly or a mosquito. به به and the actions or the deeds. Of the people will be weighed Just as it has been reported In the narration Of the Prophet Sallallahu To have faith in it And to attest to its truthfulness And to turn away from whoever rejected that And to abandon argumentation with him Here also There is an important point That we must believe in That it is a fact That of those things which we are required to believe in is the belief in the last day al al Akhir or Yaamul Qiyamah, the day of resurrection or day of judgment, Yaamuddin. And in the as one of the aspects of this belief in the judgment day is the belief in Al Mizan or the scales or the weighing of deeds. Allah says in the Quran وَنَدعُ الْمَوَازِينَ الْقِسْطَ لِيَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ فَلَا تظلم نَفْسٌ شَيْئًا وَإِن كَانَ, مثل وإن كان مِثْقَالَ حَبَّةٍ خَرْدَرٍ أَتَيْنَا بِهَا That we will put the scales of justice, we will put them forth for the day of resurrection and no one, no person will be oppressed or done wrong in any way whatsoever, even in such a thing Such a small thing that is equal to the weight of a mustard seed. It will be brought forth. This ayah makes us to know that in fact it is real. The scales, they are real scales. Even though the reality of those scales, the how of them, we don't know. But they will definitely be a way to weigh the deeds of the people as Allah mentioned here in this ayah of the Qur'an. The Prophet ﷺ also confirmed not only that the deeds would be weighed, deeds or actions of human beings, but the human beings themselves would be weighed as reported in Al-Bukhari and Muslim. In the hadith of Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, which he attributed to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, saying, إِنَّهُ لَيَأْتِيَ الرَّجُلُ الْعَظِيمُ السَّمِينَ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ لَا يَزِنُوا عِنْدَ اللَّهِ جَنَاهَا بَعُودَةٍ وَقَالَ إِقْرَأُوا فَلَا نُقِيمُ لَهُمْ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ In that hadith, it is reported that the Prophet ﷺ said that a very big fat man would be brought forth on the day of resurrection. And he would not, his weight would not be equal in front of Allah or in the estimation of Allah. It would not be equal to the wing of a mosquito. Then he said, read, in confirmation of this, read what Allah says in the Quran. Then we would not uh, give for them even on the day of, of, on the day of resurrection any weight whatsoever. And they would not be weighing anything. This of course means that those people who in this world seem to have some weight but in the next life even when they are weighed a very fat man they would not have any weight before Allah. But what would really have weight is the deeds of the people. And it is also mentioned in authentic hadith, the hadith of al-bitaqah. And in that hadith, it is confirmed that the records of the human beings would also be weighed. And that hadith uh, mentions that a man would be brought forth by Allah. It is reported by at tirmidhi who said that it is Hassan and Ibn Majah and Al-Hakam and other scholars also mentioned this hadith that a person would be brought forth from the Ummah of Muhammad ﷺ in front of all the people on the day of resurrection. And his deeds would be brought forth in records, 99 records of his deeds. Every one of those records of the 99 would be as long as the eye could see. That's how many deeds was recorded against him of bad deeds. 99 records, each record as far as the eye could see. Then Allah would say to him, أَتُنْكِرُوا min هَذَا شَيْئًا Do you deny any of these deeds that have been recorded against you? Have you been done any injustice by those who write the deeds of the people? That man would say, لا يا رب No, O my Lord. I don't deny any of it and it's all true. Then Allah would say to him, Asalata do you have any excuse for what you have done? And that person again would say, No, رب, I have no excuse. Then Allah would say to him, Bala Then Allah would say to him, On the contrary, with us there is some good deed. You have a good deed. No one will be done any just, injustice today. Then a bitaqa, a card would be brought out, a record, one record of one deed that he did, and it was written on that bitaqa, on that card, Ashhhadu an la ilaha illallah, wa anna Muhammadan abduhu wa His good deed only was that he testified sincerely that there is nothing which should be worshipped except Allah. And he testified that Muhammad ﷺ is the servant of Allah and his messenger. Then Allah would call for the deeds to be weighed up on the scales. Those 99 records, each one of them reaching as far as the eye could see, on one side, and that bitaqa containing his sincere testimony of the tawheed of Allah and the prophethood of Muhammad sallam. That man would say, Ma ha'dihi al-bikaqa, ma ha'dihi al-sujulat. Ya'ani, what can this thing do for me? What can it be in, in comparison with all of these records of bad deeds against me? Then Allah would say to him, Innaka la tuzlam. He will not be done any injustice. Then he said that those deeds. Bad deeds were all placed on one side of the scale, and that bitaka was placed on the other side. And those bad deeds didn't weigh anything in comparison to that bitaka of the testimony of the Tawheed of Allah and the Prophet sallam. This hadith it reminds us of the greatness. Of Tawheed And the importance Of sincere testimony To the oneness of Allah And the Prophet Of Muhammad Sallallahu And it also confirms That the deeds Of the human beings As well as their records The records of their deeds Was also Be weighed On the day of resurrection And also The Prophet Sallallahu Said An authentic hadith As reported In Sahih al-jami' He said Ma min shayin mizan that there would be nothing put on the scales that would be heavier or more weighty than good character. Good character. And in another hadith authentically reported in Al Bukhari and Muslim from Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, the Prophet said, Kalimatani, Khafifatani ala lisani, Thaqilatani في الميزاني Habibatani fil rahmani Subhanallah wa bihamdihi Subhanallah al azim That there are two words or two statements that are very light on the tongue. That means they are easy for one to say, not difficult. But they are very heavy in the scale. They will be weighed on the scales. these two words. They will have weight, very heavy weight. Habibatani ila, ila Rahmani, they are beloved by Allah, al rahman And those two words are Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, Subhanallah al Subhanallah wa which means the affirmation or the negation of any imperfection to Allah. Subhanallah means that we negate any imperfection or any defect or any shortcoming or anything that has been falsely attributed to Allah such that He has sons or that He has partners or any such thing. Subhanallah is the negation of any imperfection to Allah, Wa Bihamdihi is the affirmation that praise belongs to Him because of His perfection. So this word, Subhanallah wa Bihamdihi and Subhanallah al affirmation or negation of any imperfection to Allah who is Al this or also such words will be Weighed on the scales And it will be very heavy on the scales Weighing in the good of the person who says them And in remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala So this is the affirmation Of the reality of the scales on the day of judgment That the people would be weighed Their deeds would be weighed And their records would be weighed It is upon us to pay attention to our time in this world and to use it to doing the things that are pleasing to Allah As much as possible And paying attention to those things that are weighty with Allah To do them as best we can And avoid those things which are displeasing to Allah Which are hateful to Allah Which Allah has prohibited So that when the reality of that day comes And our deeds are placed on the scales That inshaAllah That inshallah the side of good deeds will be heavier than the side of bad deeds. And we can do that by trying as best we can to follow the instructions. But first we have to know. The study of the authentic sunnah of the Prophet who Of the authentic sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ Who guides us to the knowledge of that which is pleasing to Allah And that which is displeasing to Him
1: and Imam Ahmed
0: goes on to say بِهِ بِهِ And we also of the essential things that we believe in Related to the day of resurrection is that Allah the Most High would speak to His servants on the day of resurrection. And they will, not between, they will not be between Him, that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and the people, any interpreter. But Allah will speak to them directly. We must have faith in this and we must affirm it. It is reported in the authentic hadith of the Prophet sallallahu مَا مِنْكُمْ مِنْ أَحَدٍ إِلَّا وَسَيُكَلِّمُهُ اللَّهِ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ لَيْسَ بَيْنَهُ وَبَيْنَهُ ترجمان. This hadith is recorded on the authority of Adi ibn Hatim radiyallahu anhu in the collection of al-Bukhari and the collection of Muslims. But there is no one from amongst you. There is no one. No one is accepted from this. Everyone is included in this. Allah will speak to him on the day of resurrection and there will not be between him and Allah any interpreter or translator but Allah will speak to them directly As Sheikh Abd Abdurrahman Ibn Jibrin he said of those things that are also part of the belief in the last day or the day of ju- resurrection or the day of judgment the resurrection after death is that Allah will speak to the servants and there would not be between them anyone to interpret or to translate. There would not be anyone or any need for anyone to interpret from different languages. But Allah will speak to them and they will understand exactly. All people of different languages would understand what He is saying, they will know what He is saying. And this will happen in reality. It is a fact. Allah will speak to the people how he wills on the day of resurrection. And Imam Ahmed goes on to say, وَالْإِيمَانُ بِالْحَوْضِ وَأَنَّ لِرَسُولِ Arduhu مِثْلُ طُولِهِ مسيرة شَهْرٍ آنِيَتُهُ كَعَدَدِ نُجُومِ السَّمَاءِ عَلَى مَا صحت بِهِ الْأَخْبَارِ مِنْ غَيْرِ وجهن. And of those essential things that we must believe in, of the Islamic aqeedah and specifically related to those things of the Day of Resurrection, is to have faith in al haud the uh, fountain or the pool. That will be that there will be a pool for so the Messenger of Allah وسلم, or a fountain on the day of resurrection. And his nation or his people, his ummah, will come to it to drink. And its width is equal to the distance travelled in a month. The distance that someone travels in a month, its distance will be that would be its distance. Its drinking vessels equaling the number of stars in the sky. Yani, those people who came to it from the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, they would use its drinking vessels, and those vessels, cups for drinking, would be equal in number to the stars in the sky. And all of this is in accordance with the narrations that are authentically reported in this regard. Uh, And they came from more than one aspect, meaning they came from more than one chain of narration, more than one isnad or chain of narratives. The great scholar of Tafsir Al-Qurtubi said in his book Al-Mufham, which is an explanation of Sahih Muslim. He quoted from Al-Qadi Iyad, agreeing with most of what he said, saying, Among the things that are necessary upon every responsible person to know and to believe in is that Allah, the Most High and Exalted, has singled out his Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi sallam And made exclusively for him this favor, that is, that it would be for him a fountain on the day of resurrection that his ummah would drink from called Al-Hawd. Its name, characteristics and drink have been made clear in the well-known and authentic uh, Hadith, the sum total of of which provides certain and definite knowledge. From those Hadith, we are sure and we know about something that no one can know about except through the Qur'an or through the Sunnah, that is through revelation. Because it is something that didn't happen, but it will happen in the future. There is no way to know about it, and there is no way to have certain knowledge about it, except through the revelation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Since such ahadith hadith have been reported from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa by more than 30 companions, and the two sahihs, that is the sahih al-Bukhari and Muslim, is reported by over 20 companions, and the sahih of Bukhari and Muslim. And in other than the two Sahihs, it has been reported by the remainder of them, yani the other companions, in ahadith whose transmission is authentic and whose reporters are well known. Then a similar, num- a similar number of Tabi'een, the students of Sahaba, reported such a thing from the aforementioned companions and then after them, in multiples of their number, the Tabi'een or the Atba'at Tabi'een, those who came after them and so on. Allah says in the Quran concerning this matter. إِنَّا أَعَطَيْنَاكَ الْكَوْفَرِ That verily we have given to you Al-Kawfar Some of the scholars of tafsir Said that it is a river in paradise That would flow from Al-Hawd In any case It is something that was given exclusively To the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And only his ummah would drink from this Hawd There are many authentic hadith That are narrated from many companions Such as the hadith Which is reported by Al-Bukhari and Muslim Hadith of Abdullah ibn Amr In which it is reported that the Prophet Sallallahu wa sallam said شهرن, That my haud is the distance That one travels in a month وَزَوَايَاهُ And its sides would be equal From one side to another اليبن, And that its Water would be whiter Than milk وَرِيحُهُ مِنَ المسك, or مسك, مسك, And its Scent or its smell would be sweeter or better than any sweet smelling perfume. And its uh, vessels for drinking would be equal in number or like the stars in the sky. And, its, uh, in like the in the sky. and whoever drinks from it, he would never be thirsty, ever. Then, ever. يعني, whoever drinks from that fountain, he would never. After that, experience first. And there are many hadiths such as this one reported in the authentic books from many of the companions of the Prophet affirming the howd for the Prophet. It would be something exclusively given to him for his ummah, and it is a special gift for those who carefully to the way of the Prophet following his sunnah and not innovating as reported in some of the hadiths as Sheikh Abdullah ibn Jibreel mentioned in his discussion of this point, that that these are the things that we are required to believe in the last day and the hadith about it are many. Uh, He says um, that the ummah of the Prophet Muhammad, his followers, that they would come to this fountain and uh, they would drink from it, but those would be pushed away who didn't stick tight or hold carefully and practice his sunnah. Even though they would be from his ummah and they would have the signs or the marks of his ummah, the light on their forehead and on their legs. That they would that the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa would be known by, but yet they would be pushed back. Uh, and the Prophet according to some narrations, he would say, But these people are from my ummah and then he would be informed that those people innovated after you. That is, they changed your Sunnah, they abandoned your Sunnah and innovated new things into the religion after you left them. Then uh, the Shaykh goes on to mention some of the descriptions of the Hawd that are mentioned in the previous Hadith that we already mentioned. And he says uh, that the believers who would drink from it, they would never be thirsty after that until they actually entered the paradise itself. And this is on the day of resurrection. Whoever drinks from it would never be thirsty until they entered paradise. And of course in paradise people would not have any need of anything. Uh, The believers would would take from it and the munafiqun or the hypocrites and the disbelievers and those who innovated in the religion would be rejected from it So let us also uh, keep this in mind that there is also this very special uh, favor that will be given to the Prophet ﷺ and his ummah will share in this favor in that they would also experience the joy and the blessing of drinking from that fountain that would be exclusively for the followers of Muhammad ﷺ. These are some of the things that we uh, are required to believe in and we should understand that uh, if we read the Qur'an and ask about the explanation of those ayats which are not clear to us, explaining the paradise and the resurrection and judgment, the next life, the hellfire, and also compare those verses from the Qur'an with the authentic hadith of the Prophet wasallam, usually it will be very clear to us what we are required to believe in, And it would also be a source of knowledge of what is going to happen in the future that no one knows about except through revelation. These things should be an inspiration for us to help us in this difficult time, the life in this world, when it is easier to enjoy the things of the world than it is to uh, stick to, the obedience to Allah. Then this is an inspiration for us that Allah has given to us to inspire us to give give up those things that He has prohibited and to leave those things that He is displeased with And to stick to the way of the Prophet ﷺ to follow those things which he has commanded us to fulfill all of our obligations even if they may be difficult in this life knowing that the reward is great in the next life. Remembering that the life of this world is short, it is temporary, it is passing and the life of the next world is permanent and everlasting. As the Prophet ﷺ said that we should live in this world as a stranger, yeah, and someone just passing through a place, becoming, not becoming attached to it, but, or as he said, as a person who sits, a traveler who sits under the shade of a tree, uh, enjoying that shade for a few moments or a few hours, not claiming ownership of the tree or ownership of the shade, or establishing themselves in that place, but only enjoying that shade for a short time, and then going on their destination, continuing their journey, trying to reach the final destination, and that final destination is the paradise. Let us remember that this world is only a temporary stopover. It is a testing ground for us. We can enjoy something of this world that Allah has made lawful, but don't become attached to it, don't become overwhelmed by it, and don't become so engaged in it that we forget about the more lasting and the permanent, the next life, the paradise of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Subhanaka Allahumma bihamdika ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu are Any questions? Uh, we have about two or three minutes before the Adhan. Otherwise, uh, we will uh, finish here. Uh, the question came to us. It says, Allah will speak to everyone on the last day. But who are those whom He will show His face to? Uh Allah will speak to everyone on the... Yeah, that's right. Uh, But um, who are those who will show his face to? He will show his face only to the believers. Because this is uh, one of the rewards for the believers. Um, Okay. (laughs) In, In any case, the question is still the same. He will show his face to the believers and he will not show his face to the disbelievers. As Allah mentioned in the Quran, that on the day of resurrection, that uh, there will be a screen between him and the disbelievers, so that they will not see him. And also in the authentic uh, hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, he said that one of the great joys for the believers would be that they would see Allah. And it's also mentioned uh, in ayahs of the Quran, as we mentioned in our, uh, in our discussion last week. That for the believers there will be paradise. وزيادة. The ziyadah in the ayah it means uh, that they will it mean that they will be given something extra or special and the Prophet said that that means that they would see Allah or they would see the face of Allah. Uh, there is another question here. Is this the same river that washes the people who have been punished in the hellfire before entering paradise? The al-kawfar is actually, well al-hawd is on the day of resurrection the people would drink from it. And actually the river that is in paradise, Al-Kawfar, as according to some of the scholars, Al-Kawfar is a river in paradise, is not the same river that the people would be washed in. That is, those believers who would have some punishment, who would be punished in the fire for some time because of some of the bad deeds that they did uh, before entering the paradise. There is the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ in which he said that after they would be punished in the hellfire, they would be taken out, and they will be washed in a river before entering the paradise. That's a different river than the river that would be in paradise itself, the river of al uh What is exclusively for the ummah of the Prophet ﷺ is Al-Hawd, the fountain that the people would drink from on the day of resurrection. As for, that, as for the, the, the river inside of paradise, oh, then uh, this is something that uh, would be for the people of paradise. Whoever would into the paradise, whether it is of the previous nations, yeah, and the previous Muslims who believed in the prophets of the past, Such as Musa, Moses, peace be upon him, or Isa, Jesus, peace be upon him, and so on. And there's a difference between the haud, the fountain that the people of the Ummah of Muhammad would drink from on the day of resurrection, and Al Qawfa, the river that would be in paradise itself. Um, There's a question here in Arabic. What is the difference between the uh, the vision of the Prophet ﷺ and the vision of Musa alayhi What is the difference? Well, if the question is referring to the what is mentioned in the Quran about Musa alayhi asking to see Allah and that he actually saw the reflection on the mountain of the glory of Allah, then the difference is that uh, that Musa, he saw the glory reflected on the mountain, whereas the Prophet Muhammad actually saw the hijab, the light, which is the hijab of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the difference. Uh, I don't know. There's a question here, what about certain sinners amongst the Muslims such as homosexuals? A hadith I read a long time ago said they won't see him. Uh, I'm not familiar with this hadith, so I I cannot uh, say anything about this. I don't know the hadith. But uh, in general, we can say, in general, that any person who believes in Allah and they died on this correct belief in Allah, then if they committed any sin, whether it's major or minor sins, whatever it may be, after their punishment, they would enter paradise, and the Prophet ﷺ said that the people of paradise would generally, not any exclusive group from amongst them, but the people in general, the people of paradise would see Allah, all of them, without exception. So anyone who committed any sin, other than the one who committed shirk, worshipping something other than Allah, and didn't repent from it, but died as a mushrik, any person who didn't die as a mushrik, even if they committed shirk, but they repented from it while they were living, then every sin that the human being commits, uh, Allah may forgive them or He may punish them, and then they will enter paradise, the believers that is. Allah may punish them, if He wills, if they didn't repent from it, uh, he may punish them or he may forgive them. And if they repented from it, then Allah accepts repentance if it's sincere repentance. So, whatever deed anyone did, if they repented, then Allah accepts repentance. And if they didn't repent, then Allah may punish them or he may forgive them. But the believers, the people who died believing in Tawheed, sincerely died on that without dying on shirk, then they were into paradise eventually, all of the believers. What about those or what of those who use subhanallah who who say this word subhanallah for example as a sign of disappointment or curse or as most disbelievers use Jesus Christ or say Jesus Christ as a way of cursing Are the words subhanallah still counted as weighty or heavy even without good intentions? If the word subhanallah, if this is used in a wrong way it's not used as an expression of of glorification of Allah, or praise of Allah, or remembrance of Allah. If it is used uh, in some bad way, then obviously we will not expect that the person who who does a good deed, but with a wrong intention, that they will get reward for it. As we said so many times, actions will be rewarded, based on two conditions being fulfilled. The first of them is that they have to do it with the intention of pleasing Allah, and the second that they have to do something in accordance with the example or the instruction of the Prophet ﷺ. So if somebody does something, any action, whether it's words of praise, zikr subhanallah, alhamdulillah, la ilaha illallah, or any words such as this, if they did it meaning something or intending something bad, then of course they will not get a reward for it. They will not be rewarded by Allah with, uh, as having done a good deed, but they will be rewarded according to their intention. Actions are judged according to intention. If someone does a good, in, uh, good deed, but their intention is bad, then they will be rewarded according to their intention. Okay, alhamdulillah, that's the end of the questions. May Allah help us and protect us. And if we have said anything wrong, then please, uh, uh, anyone, let me bring it to our attention. And if we have said anything that's not clear, then in the future, inshallah, you may ask about it. And we hope that Allah will help us all to understand better and to benefit from these feelings. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. la ilaha illa anta astaghfaruka wa tubaylek.